Indeed, Christ is enough for us, and what more could we ask, O Lord? You have given your Son not only to die on our behalf, to be risen for our justification, and now ascended in heaven to rule over all things, and will one day return victorious, glorious for His church. And in the in-between time, we pray that you may bless your church today as we listen to your word, and may each one of us come home changed, transformed, and renewed. For in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please remain standing as we read from the part of the Bible uh, out of which I'm going to preach today, which is John chapter 13, verses 31 to chapter 14, verses, verse 3. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You may be seated, and may God himself add the riches, richness of his blessing, not only to the reading of his word, but also to those who obey and do it. The title of my sermon today is, What is Jesus Preparing the Church For? We all have a vision of how we would like our lives to be. And that vision drives our preparation. That vision drives what wakes us up in the morning. That vision motivates us to work hard. But you've got to admit that most of the vision we have for our lives and for our future are most likely influenced by what we like. What we think may make other people happy or admire us or what the world around us think life should be. For example, to be happy, to be financially free, to be surrounded by good friends and families and to make the most of this life. Now friends, have you ever thought that God too has a vision for your life? Now I'm not just talking about you individually here, 
In fact, today I'm talking about you in plural, you as God's church. The big question is, what is God's vision for us? What is God's vision for the church? In fact, the whole talk in John 13 to 17, which is often termed the, the upper room discourse, is an insider's talk. Jesus is talking to the church. Jesus is talking to his family, that is his spiritual family, his faith family, to his followers, to his disciples. He's not addressing the larger Jewish audience who are mostly against him and will soon, within hours, kill, sentence him to death. He's not addressing any of the Roman rulers who, again, within hours, will carry that sentence by executing him on that shameful cross. Even more narrowly, Jesus is talking to the 11 minus Judas the traitor. Verse 31, when Judas had gone out, Jesus then, now is the time. So reading this passage in its original context, Jesus is preparing his disciples to understand the full meaning of his death and eventual resurrection. Jesus is basically casting a vision, not just for the next 12 hours, not just for the next three days, not just for the next 100 years, but for all disciples of all time, including us today. Friends, if I may summarize Jesus' vision for the church in one word, it will be this. This is the one word I want you to take home today. Jesus' vision, God's vision for the church is glory. That's it. We can wrap up and go home. <laughs> okay. In fact, if I may take you to a wider lens of John chapter 13 to 17, this long talk of Jesus actually culminates, it climaxes in Jesus' prayer in John 17, where towards the end of the prayer, he says this, Father, I desire that they, these disciples, whom you have given me, notice that, may be with me where, may be with me where I am to see, what? My glory that you have given me because you loved me from the foundation of the world. That is Jesus' vision for the church, for us. Glory. They whom you have given me. He's talking about his followers. He wants them to see his glory. He wants them to see, to savor, to enjoy, to be fully satisfied again and again and again with his glory. And this is his vision for the church collectively as well as Christians individually. Now, why should that matter to us today? Well, it matters to us, brothers and sisters, because if we lose sight of God's vision for us, something else will take its place. And before you know it, we make our vision as the main thing, and God is only there either as a divine cheerleader <laughs> or we are just going to ignore him altogether. And this is 
One of the main reasons why we gather as church week by week, we gather week by week to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded of God's vision for us. Now let's unpack, unpack that. I believe there are three things surrounding this word, these glory themes that I believe Jesus wants us to do. Three things. So here are the three things. He wants us to look up to God's glorious purpose. He wants us to look after God's glorious people. And he wants us to look forward to God's glorious place. Look up, look after, look forward. Purpose, people, place. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus is preparing his disciples, the church, for a world that hates them. And how? He does that by making the glory of God in Christ their outlook in life. He wants us to look up to God's glorious purpose. Let me read those verses again. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man, referring to himself, is glorified. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Five times the word glorifies mentioned there by Jesus. Jesus is reminding his disciples that his suffering, his death, that shameful, ignominious death on the cross is the centerpiece display of God's glory. And he begins this explanation by the word now. Now, if you remember the, the, the Gospel of John, many, many times he mentioned the hour, the hour, the coming hour. And now is basically, mean, basically means that the hour leading up to his death and resurrection is at hand. Everything from before eternity past, the fall of man, Israel's history, out until today and the future, it all hinges on this hour. This is the most important centerpiece in history. No other day, no other moment, no other event is more important than this event. The event when God is glorified in his son. Now what's the deal with this glory thing? What is this word glory? We can spend hours or even a seminar talking about glory, but basically glory refers to the excellencies of God's person, the majesty of God's character. We sang this earlier, glorious and mighty in creation and salvation in redemption. Everything that makes God, God is his glory. And Jesus basically saying, if you want to see the glory of God, here it is. Through the cross, through his death. And that's the uniqueness of this gospel too. Jesus repeatedly speaks of his glorification, not so much in terms of his miracles, his healing, exercising demons, but ultimately to this hour, his suffering and death on the cross. You see, Jesus is not trying to make the cross seem better than it already was. Um, he doesn't try to make the cross seemed better uh, by making people feel better about its pain and shame. Instead, he actually believes that true glory comes from completing the work God has sent him to do. 
So Jesus is giving his disciples a perspective to view his suffering and death as chaotic, as barbaric, as shamefully, as shameful and painful as it is. It is not a defeat. It is not lost. It is not a tragic end. Jesus was not a victim. No, this is the very place where God's majesty, power, holiness, love, righteousness, justice are put in full display. You want to see what God is like? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus on the cross. God's glory is fully manifested in Jesus. There there are many ways to describe this. But let me put it this way. Most of us have a friend, right? At least one friend, hopefully more. A friend that we've known for years. Many of us have siblings, or if not cousins, who have known us since we were little. And hopefully not many of us have enemies, at least hopefully not in this church. But we probably have known or know people that we just end up being in bad terms with. Okay? Now, let me ask you. Let's just imagine these people. Yeah, think about these people by name. Now, what are the chances that these three kinds of people in your life, friend, family member, enemy, end up worshiping us as God? You would say not a million years, exactly. I can't think of any other way for these three kind of people worshiping you as God. Either A, they think you're crazy and they just play along. He thinks himself is God. Let's just say yes. Or you threaten their lives and family. Worship me as God or else. Okay? Friend, family member, and me. But notice, within 20 years after Jesus' death, his friend, his family member, his former enemy, worship him as God. Quick proof. These three people, you know them. Okay? Peter, the apostle, but grow in the grace and knowledge, writing many years later, by the way, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. James, a disciple and also brother of Jesus, show no partiality as you have hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, what? The Lord of glory. And Paul, as you know, his former enemy, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And not only that, that these three and many millions afterwards, they are all willing to die for that belief. What's the application for us today? God's glorious purpose. Look up to it. Now someone uh, named Brett Hembrick uh, really helped me in thinking about this, so I sort of steal this from, uh, stole this from him. Are you living for God's glorious purpose? You just ask yourself these questions. Am I willing to commit my life to whatever God asks of me? What roles have I neglected that God has placed me in? What talents or abilities has God blessed me with? with yeah. Where do my talents and passions match up with the needs in my church and community? 
And lastly, how would God have, have me bring these things together to glorify Him? Oh, so where do we start? I'm glad you asked. Next point. Look up to God's glorious purpose. Secondly, look after God's glorious people. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Note that, that, ter- that phrase, that commandment, love one another, love one another, love for one another, basically the same thing. Friends, this is the only, let me repeat that again, the only genuine proof that they have been saved. Their love for one another as God's people, as the church, is the only proof that they have received that love from Jesus. Their love for each other is the main engine to testify of God's love to the world and to save them. You know, on the, on the, on the one hand, this is actually not a new, new commandment. It is an old commandment, especially if you're a Jewish person like the, the 11 disciples. From probably before they could talk, they, uh, their parents or teacher already asked them to memorize Leviticus 19 verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This has been hammered into their brain, little brain since they were young. But what makes it new? A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says. What makes it new, Jesus? Well, it is new because it is an old commandment with a new power. And the new power is there in the, in the text. Just as I have loved you. The way I have loved you by displaying the full glory of God's, uh, the, the, displaying the full glory of God through the cross. And that is why it is be important to begin by looking up to God's glorious purpose. Because it is only when we realize how great his love for us in Jesus Christ that we are enabled to love each other as his followers. No other way. Jesus is not opening up for another avenue. He's not talking about different personalities, ethnic groups, culture. Love one another just as I have loved you. You begin not by you begin uh, you start looking after by beginning looking up. In fact, I believe that Simon's interruption in this whole dialogue is worth noting here. You're familiar with this part, right? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, actually like the Indonesian translation which follows the Greek, he basically says, your life? <laughs> for me? Are you kidding me? Okay, so in English, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, we all know the story. Within hours, Simon Peter, the Leader of the apostles will betray Jesus. I swear I don't know this guy. Yeah, don't ask me. 
I don't know him. And Jesus knows this way ahead of time. And still Jesus loves him and is willing to die for him. Just as I have loved you. Now you know pastors, right? If they meet together, sometimes, not always, they like to brag. They like to take pride in sharing their most recent accomplishment. So there are these two, four pastors, they gather together. Pastor A started by saying, oh, this past Sunday, I had the privilege of leading a special Mother's Day service at my church. I'm grateful to God that three new families made their decision to join our congregation. Pastor B says, well, approximately two weeks ago, we hosted a Bible conference centered around marriage. It brings me joy to share with you all that God blessed us by being, bringing five newlywed couples into our ministry teams. Hallelujah. With tears. Pastor C chimes in. Another three weeks back, we successfully organized a vacation Bible school. It is truly awe-inspiring to witness how God has let seven new families to express their interest in becoming members of our church. Obviously, the punchline is always the last pastor, isn't it? Pastor D. No, friends, unfortunately, I have less favorable news to share. Our church has been in deep prayer and fasting due to, due to some challenging individuals, difficult individuals. However, I'm relieved to inform you that all 15 of the most troublesome families have chosen to leave our church. It is only funny if you know Mets. Okay. <laughs> the church, God's people, comes in all different shapes and sizes. And think about Jesus' love for us. Let me ask you, do we love? Do we actually love each other? It is not about like and dislike this and that personality. Think about your fellow believers here in this church, in this community. Let's see them the way God sees them, the way Jesus has loved them. See them not as who or what they are now in all their, I would say, idiosis and idiosyncrasies, but see them as how they will be when Jesus returns. They will be glorious. They will be sinless. They will be perfected. Love them. Love each other as Jesus has loved you. Now, how can I be sure that all these things is guaranteed? Well, let's move on to the next point. So look up. Look after, that is, take care for each other, look, uh, love one another, and do look forward to God's glorious place. These are famous verses. Verses, chapter, verses 1, 2, 3. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not, so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Brothers and sisters, here Jesus assures them of their eternal home and his return. 
Actually, the theme of coming and going is very strong in this, in this whole um, upper room discourse. It's about Jesus going to the cross, but also going after he is resurrected. You see, everything in this world, I know this is, I'm just stating the obvious, especially if you've been Christians for a long time, everything in the world, sorry, everything that the world offers will eventually fade away and disappoint. But notice this, Jesus is preparing a glorious place for his people forever. When Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you in verse 3, he is anticipating his physical departure. We call it ascension, back to heaven after his resurrection. And he's promising them that I am coming back. One writer puts it this way, until Jesus goes, the church is unable to follow. (laughs) Unless Jesus goes, to heaven and prepare a place for us, there won't be a place for us. I know I'm stating the obvious, but that's the deal. It's a pretty good deal, actually, because he says he promises many rooms, many dwelling places, more than enough for his followers. If you're into property, one commentator puts it this way, Jesus might be thinking of one of those luxurious Greco-Roman villas that are probably peppered in, in those regions. And he's saying, I'm preparing something more permanent for you all to dwell. And this is such a beautiful bookend, isn't it? You remember in the beginning, in chapter one, when Jesus begins to call some of these disciples, one of the things that he tells them is, come and see. Okay? Come and see my dwelling place. And now he's promising towards the end of his life, so to speak. He says that one day, it's not come and see, but come and stay. You will come. You will come with me. You will stay with me forever. You see, what's interesting about this word, preparing a place for us, for his church, Notice that even after Jesus is ascended to heaven in his glorious body, majesty, and all, undying body, even in his glorious form, Jesus continues to serve his people. I go and prepare a place for you. I mean, if you were to visit somebody's house, especially if you're in Indonesia, and you ask someone to prepare meal or something, generally speaking, it will be done by the maid, not by the house owner, let alone the oldest person, the most respected person in the family. But this is Jesus. Remember earlier, the Jews were afraid if people flock to Jesus, they're afraid that their land and place will be taken away. It's not unlike what's happening up there right now. But what Jesus is promising is way better. His promising a land and a place, a glorious place that will never be taken away exclusively for his church. Do you see how glorious our future is? How wonderful? Friends, many years ago before I entered into full-time ministry, I used to teach uh, animation, animation classes. In one of those classes, there's this one guy who is just, it's just you know, the case of the worst student in class, never listens, never does anything, just playing games every time I talk. 
Towards the end of class, I like to do an analysis of the movie The Iron Giant. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil the whole thing for you. Okay, long story short, towards the end of the movie, the Iron Giant, who has befriended this boy, Hoggart, decides to sacrifice himself in order to save everyone in that town. Okay, so you're probably familiar with this scene, where, where the Iron Giant says to Hoggart, I go. You stay, no following. And then he launched to the sky and sacrificed himself. I was really touched when I saw this first time. Once you saw it 20 times, you, you sort of get numb. But I remember this boy who never listened in class, I look at his face, he was drenched in tears. <laughs> I've never been so touched in my life, sir, he says. So I learned that some people just need to find the right story to touch their hearts. We have better story than the Iron Giant, than the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Narnia. We have the gospel, real sacrifice, real God sacrificing his real life so that he may collect and gather real people for himself in real heaven to boot. So are you hoping just for this life's health and wealth and success, this vision of this present life? Let me tell you, that's too poor. That's too weak. That's too small. Let me invite you to look to Jesus. And you can be assured that there's true health and wealth and fellowship unending with him and his people. And that's his vision for us. Remember that one word again? His vision for us. Is glory. Let's look up. Let's look after each other. And let's look forward for that one day. Let's pray. Our glorious Father, we are grateful that you have given your Son, the Lord of glory, to be put to shame, the death on the cross, and yet resurrected, risen, and now reigning. Our salvation relies fully on Him and in Him alone. So help us to trust, to be united around the gospel, not anything else, not personalities, not groups, not this and particular things, but only on Jesus. I pray for your richest blessing for this church as they look their ways ahead, that they may continue to walk in faith, unity, holiness, and righteousness to display that glory. For the sake of Christ, I pray. Amen.